You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 224. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. Today, I'm speaking to you from London, England. Yes, I am so happy to be back in London. I love it. It's kind of my quote unquote northern hemisphere home at this point. And I'm spending a few weeks here while I get ready for an upcoming training that I'm about to take in a few weeks, which I'm excited to share more details about on the show once I've taken it and can share more. But in the meantime, let's move on to today's show. Today is a dream come true episode. There have been a few seminal moments in The Lively Show, Liz Gilbert's episode, Brene Brown's episode, and many more, Gary Vaynerchuk included. Those episodes were wonderful, and those guests were some of my dream guests to have on the show. Well, one of the other guests that I have been dreaming and dreaming and dreaming about having on the show, especially because of season four and what we're all about here right now, it is Rob Bell. Are you familiar with Rob Bell? Many of you probably are, and some are not. So for those that are new to Rob, he is a best-selling author, speaker. He's toured with Oprah on her tours in the US. He has a podcast called The Rob Cast. He used to be, or I guess he probably still is a pastor, but he doesn't have a quote-unquote church in the normal sense, and so much more. He is the person that I first learned about the pre-rational, rational, and trans-rational concepts from. I have heard him speak about all these different amazing scientific inquiries and the quantum mechanics and all of the stuff that I'm interested in, including consciousness. So I knew I wanted to jam with him. He is someone that I wanted to be able to have the kind of conversation that I've been having with some friends here and there that can have an interest or an awareness of this type of subject. And I knew he would be the perfect guest to have on the show to speak about exactly these subjects. So there's no catch here. There's no episode in terms of like what we're trying to pitch you. There's no book that he has out about this. This is truly just us talking about the ideas and concepts that light us up. So we're going to talk about the next evolution of consciousness and what we think it may be. We're going to talk about quantum mechanics and the implications on our lives. We'll talk about universal cell theory, which you've heard a few times here on the show. We're going to talk about why we are much larger than just our physical bodies and who we are as like literally not within our body, but beyond and far larger than the body itself. We'll talk about flow, water, and humanity. And he pretty much blows my mind with this concept of water, flow, and our human bodies. So there's so much to say here. This is definitely a conversation more than an interview. Just two people speaking about subjects we're truly passionate about. Let's go to the show. Rob, thank you so much for coming on the show. This is truly one of my dream come trues, and I'm so excited to have you here. Oh, this is fantastic. I'm ready to jam. Okay, we're going to go on a winding path down many different roads that may or may not have been traveled before. But before we get there, for those that don't know you, tell us how you got to where you are. Oh, that's a long story. So I was in college, and I was in a band, and the band broke up because everybody had to get jobs. We thought we were going to be the next REM, Midnight Oil, uh, that dates us, early 90s, late 80s. And the band broke up because everybody had to get jobs. And I was teaching water skiing in northern Wisconsin. And there was like this group that organized these like religious services. And somebody said, well, who wants to give the sermon? And I said, I will. And it was like, what? Why? Who? who gives a sermon? And a sermon for me was always like boring. Like what's for lunch? Like just somebody droning on about something. But I got up to give this sermon. I just sort of cobbled together some thoughts and was like, oh my word, this is an art form. The sermon is a lost art form that our culture doesn't understand and appreciate. But then you think about Martin Luther King, I have a dream. That was a sermon and it was dangerous and poetic and it had this vision for the future and it was political and it was economic and it was healing. That was actually a sermon. And, and I had this moment. I would have been 21. Like, I'm, I'm going to reclaim this art form, not just for a group of religious people over in the corner, but like for everybody. Like, this is an art form that's been used to help people be more human and to be better humans and to understand who we are and what we're doing here. What you just said and how you just said that is so poetic and so conscious. <laughs> is that really the thoughts that you had at the time? Or what was your actual 21-year-old saying that same thing? 
Right. Uh, the 21 year old probably, yeah, would have probably said it slightly differently. Let's be honest. I always had some, there were these questions about the weirdness and absurdity and wonderfulness and pain and heartbreak of being a human being. My dad would say, yeah, I would leave. And you would start asking questions. Why do you think they said that? Why did he gesture to her at that point in the conversation? Why did he, you know what I mean? My dad would often say, you're interested in things that kids your age aren't interested in. The questions were always big questions. So your dad was saying that normal kids don't think like this. Well, he would just say, you always seem to be interested in the thing behind the thing, like the why. And I just found the big, uh, almost unanswerable questions fascinating. So I would have said, yeah, I'm going to give these sermons. I'm going to help people wake up. I want to help people get at the big questions of life. And I was literally driven. And I was so single focused. So I went to seminary and I got a master's in divinity and studied all the things, the systematic theology and hermeneutics and all that sort of thing. And then uh, I went and got a job in a church. Um, and it was very intense. And the learning curve was really, really, really steep. It just kept going. It just kept getting more interesting. And then uh, I thought that we should just redo the whole thing. So when I was 12, my wife, Kristen, and I, we started a church on our own. Let's just say all of the things that get in the way of spirituality and religion. Let's just like, it's, it had a very punk rock, like do it yourself aesthetic. Um, some guy owns a warehouse for a dollar a year. This lovely man who was like, yeah, I building. And people started coming, like a thousand people and two thousand people and four thousand people and five thousand, six thousand. And, <laughs> and then we took over an old mall. And by the time I was year 31 there was like 10,000 people coming on a Sunday and then we then we left out to Michigan well I was at that church in Michigan for like like 12 years but then you have to keep going you have to keep the, the artist Robert Irwin talks about pursuing a line of inquiry which is what we're all doing there are these questions and you set out to answer them and then when you get answers that produces a new set of questions and so you whether you're running a business or you're in a relationship or you're trying to raise kids or you're studying it's like what gets you out of bed in the morning is the questions the next thing you're trying to make or do or person you're trying to help or problem you're trying to solve so at some point it was like oh so yeah there's i'm in this church but i was always interested in talking about what it means to be human and that's not one specific religion question that's what all of us are wrestling with how do you forgive somebody who's wronged you how do we better care for the environment? Uh, what about all of the violence that we see around us? And these are all the big questions. And so I thought I'm going and, and do this in more public spaces where people who would never go to a church would want to engage. So we moved to Los Angeles and somewhere in there, I met up with Oprah and I did a TV show briefly with her network. And then we went on tour together and it's been incredible. I'm having more fun than ever. Here's a question. I was just telling you before we got on that for myself, after 12 years of asking those questions of why, but coming from a Stephen Covey seven habits place, but loving spirituality and being raised Catholic. So always having spirituality in mind, but not any one set of spiritual beliefs to focus on, even though I have the most experience with Christianity, I got to dig deeper and deeper, deeper, deeper. And I told you, I got to the point of like, our reality is created by our thoughts from all the personal development work. And then I go, well, what creates thoughts? And for me, that was consciousness, neurology, quantum mechanics. So that's what I'm studying now, because that's the foundation of thought that then creates the rest of our lives. So if atoms are thoughts of our reality, then what is below that, the subatomic, the sub-thought level is those three things. Did you go through, I'm wondering, with spirituality and Christianity and go deeper, deeper, deeper and get to what you felt was below where most people go, right? Most people aren't looking at that. What did you find was below whatever you found as like the atomic level of Christianity? Right. So right away, I was like, oh, wait, if you take this tradition all the way into its center, what you find is a path to becoming more human. So the tradition, Ramdas talks about how the tradition catapults you. But we have no problem with the lineage or a tradition as long as it points you beyond itself to the ground of being, to the infinite, to source, to God, the divine spirit, mother, Gaia, whatever you want to say. What happened is I was like, oh, the, the actual thing I'm doing here has another layer to it, exactly like you're saying. 
And then you begin to realize that, oh, there's the form, but then there's the spirit that animates the form. So two people can be doing the same thing, but from very different places. And then that took me into quantum physics, exactly like with you. All of a sudden, I have been raised in this world that understands that this material realm is fixed, static. There's rocks and trees, and if you hit your head on something, it hurts because it's solid. But actually matter, which makes up the door that you bumped your head on, matter is made up of these subatomic particles which are actually energy in relationship that the whole thing is energy that for me was absolutely transformative and that everything that makes up your body those atoms used to be making up other things and then those atoms will go on to be other things can we stop like seven things right there so one so you just said those things, the atoms that make you up are also part of atoms of other things. Did you know your hemoglobin at the center of your hemoglobin is iron and that iron comes from galaxies and stars colliding? So you're literally, your blood is stardust. Yes. Well, I haven't heard the iron thing. That's pretty good. Well done there. But when it was like, oh, there were these heavy elements that were created in the formation of stars, which are necessary for life. When I began to realize that the environment is both internal and external to us, so when people would talk about you need to care for the environment, the environment is made of the same stuff as a human body is made of, and that your body will return to an environment when you aren't here anymore. All of a sudden, the interior and the exterior becoming connected and the same matter, it just started to change everything. Oh, there's multiple rooms in this house. <laughs> And it got so much more wonder and awe. And then for me, what really plunged me into another realm was that as a human being, you are like hair, skin, bones, eyes, blood cells, fingernails. And yet you can sing a song, write a poem. You can talk about loving someone with a love as big as the universe that we are both finite here for average life expectancy, 77 years, and yet we have like the infinite crammed in us, that we are this exotic cocktail. My wonder and awe of just what it means to be human just went through the roof. I find it more fascinating than ever. Well, you don't want to know another crazy thing that's going to make you never look at things the same way again. So because there's so much space between the atoms and the nucleus and the electrons, like there's basically like it's all empty space. Like the reality is just it's like pixels. I'm like, this is the Sims and where the souls are just playing the avatars that we are poured into right now. When that happens, when you realize how much space is between things, you start realizing the only reason our hand doesn't go through the table is electrical pulse. And then that electro pulse is what stops it. Then you go, what happens when you're getting a massage? If we're not actually touching anything, because there's actually space, then what is happening? Why are we spending all this money and why does it feel so good? And what is actually being exchanged if no touch is actually happening? <laughs> you're fantastic. But it's just energy. That's all you're left with. It, like, so I get a massage and I sit there and I think about that. But it makes you, like you said, the awe and the wonder. This is why I wanted to talk with you because you have thought these thoughts are similar ones before. So one of the things I want to ask you about is your talk, Everything is Spiritual. It was incredible. I've watched it two or three times. So I've spent like six hours watching, <laughs> watching you in a whiteboard. And I encourage everyone to watch it as well. But I would love to see if you could summarize. I know it took you a million hours to summarize, even to the point that you got it to. But I'd love to have you see if you could summarize some of the, the big end takeaway and then see if you have anything more that you'd like to add to that since you've given the talk. The talk is built around this image of the Big Bang. Apparently right now is common wisdom that the universe is 13.8 billion years old and that it began from a singular point of compressed fecundity, as some say, the single compressed point, and then there's like an explosion, a bang. And at first you just have little particles. Those particles begin to bond with each other and form atoms. Those atoms begin to bond with each other about 100,000 years into the life of the universe and form molecules. Molecules begin to bond with other molecules and right around the arc of the universe forms cells and then start to form organic life. About 13 billion years into the universe, you have animals. The history of the universe is so mind-bendingly weird 
And then human beings develop something called consciousness, the ability to reflect, to wonder, to analyze, to stand outside of ourselves and ask big questions. So the story of the universe is bizarre and fascinating and beautiful and interesting at least. But that the universe has been expanding for 13 billion years and that when you love, when you give yourself to the well-being of another, that's love. Love is when you move beyond yourself. So love is when you move beyond yourself in the same way that the universe has been moving beyond itself to create more. And the universe has been increasing in depth, complexity, and unity for 13 billion years. So when we talk about loving your neighbor, another way you could say it is act like the universe acts. Move beyond yourself in the same way that the universe has been moving beyond itself. It's like line yourself up with the fundamental direction of the universe. So you think about greed. Greed is making it all about me, which is the opposite of expansion. It's literally going the the other direction than the direction the universe has been going for 13 billion years. So there's a two-hour, one-man show in one minute. I love that. It was incredible. And I want everyone, if they feel called to, to go watch it, to see the details of it. My favorite part is when you say about the first molecule that gets the idea, we could be chocolate. And he goes, hey, guys, if we band together, we can make chocolate. And everyone doesn't know what chocolate is, so no one cares. And it falls on deaf ears. My favorite part is, guys, we could be chocolate. We could be chocolate. Yeah, the, the way that the universe has unfolded is similar elements bond with similar elements. So atoms bond with atoms. And that forms something new, molecules, and molecules have all these properties that you can't find in atoms. So when these atoms bond together, they create something new. It's like one plus one equals nine or something. They have all these properties that weren't at the earlier level. And this epiphenomenon or emergent holism, they call it, is how the universe has been unfolding, which of course, like you saw in the film, raises the question, if cells bonded with other cells and eventually form these systems which made human beings, then what do human beings together form? And is the universe still unfolding? And what would human beings make up together? (laughs) Which is sort of the big question at the center of the film, which is just a fun one to ask. 100%. And then you make the whole connection to the body of Christ being something that Jesus may have been speaking to as the the body. Like, so it's kind of like the, I call it universal cell theory here on the show. So it's like, if we're just, we have tons of cells in our bodies, they're constantly dying and growing and being reborn. So is the human race. And that's kind of what you say Jesus might've been saying is that there is this body of Christ is not him. It's not his cells. It's that it's a human race and that the human race has something bigger together. Yet our evolution right now may not know exactly what that is yet. Absolutely. And so that's why racism is so lethal is racism is the failure to bond with another of similar essence and substance. And essentially racism is holding back the universe from what the universe has been doing for 13 billion years, which is the bonding of elements to create new phenomena and realities. And it's been doing this for 13 billion years. Well, it's like cancer is what I look at it. When I make my human cell theory, when I look at the body being the same as the human race, so if we're looking at extrapolating there, it's like the cells of the body when they go out to destroy and to attack itself, that's all the hate or anything that's closing off from other beings or other cells that are like it. Yeah. So when people have this longing for unity, for oneness, can't we all get along? That longing often is in literature, it's in movies, it has like a poetic dimension to it. You could also argue that it has a biological and a quantum dimension to it. The whole universe is longing to be one. Okay, so there is this idea, and I would love to hear your thoughts. So you're talking about this beautiful wholeness, this oneness, and this connectedness. And while that's true, I think what's interesting is a lot of people, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, tend to think that, okay, oneness, wholeness, unity, we're all going to think, and like we're all like going to be the fish or the birds that swim in this unified formation. But Abraham Hicks, which is a 
fascinating source of perspective on life says you misunderstand that as an ever expanding universe that the world is totally fine there's nothing actually wrong with it that the divergent opinions that are happening out there are the expansion of the universe and that as you came into this physical form you are here to play with the sandbox of life and and make what you want of it and that you will find and be attracted to the things that you want so the unity and wholeness instead of everyone in my head I tend to think of unity as like we're all flying in flocks of birds in the similar formation we all want the same things we all want to be vegan or what you know what I mean like whatever the the paradigm is but their point of view is saying that unity would actually be in this case allowing which allowing is different than tolerating so there's non-tolerance tolerance and then allowing so Non-tolerance is, I don't like what you're doing and I'm going to stop you from doing it. So I don't like what you're doing and I'm going to stop you from doing whatever it is. And then that is non-tolerance. Tolerance is to say, like, let's say you don't like your son tapping on the table or writing on the wall or something. Well, tolerating would be, I'm going to tolerate the behavior, but it's going to steal my joy. And allowing is the third option. And they say allowing is where you allow everyone to do what they want and you don't lose your joy in the process. So in that case, if you are full allowing, if everyone was fully allowing, there would potentially, I guess, be no one aggressing against someone else because they would be allowing that other person to have their own experience. So to have full allowing in the world would allow everyone to do what they want without the impingement or the lack of joy on the part of anyone in the community. What are your thoughts on that? Or do you think that makes no sense? Well, it's interesting if you look at human history, because you have these two polarities. You have freedom of expression of the individual to be and do whoever they are. And then you have oppressive, and then you have oppressive community, which leads to fascism and all sorts of horrible isms. And for many people, the idea of all of us being one and yet that leaving room for freedom of the individual to express and be whoever they are, they haven't seen that. They've seen oppressive controlling structures that demand you follow certain rules. You know what I mean? Essentially cut off your uniqueness. And then we've seen the anarchy of everybody doing whatever it is they want with no common life together. And we've seen the chaos of that. But the really interesting vision is of those two, not as opposites, but as polarities, meaning truth is paradox, both of them at the same time. You are totally free to be yourself in a way that builds up and emboldens the larger communal life, which a lot of people haven't seen. And that's the ideal behind human community, which when you see it is a beautiful thing. Yeah, man, I don't even know what that even looks like. Like you're saying, that is like, that's the thing we haven't seen before. Maybe that's the universal cell theory or the body of Christ or that next evolution. Right, because a lot of people are like, I just got to be me no matter what, I got to be me. Well, some of the ways that you got to be you are really destructive for you and everybody else. So is there a way for you to be you in such a way that actually serves and enlivens the larger whole? And the answer is yes, but that takes tremendous maturity. People have to be at a place in their own consciousness that they can hold that tension and even celebrate it and enjoy it. Now that's, that's the thing we're all after. Oh, and then that is straight up like what I would call for lack of a better word, maybe it's a little strong, but enlightenment, right? Cause then it's the, it's the going of the ego. That's a sense of separation of self from the source and from everyone else. So if you let that go, then what's intrinsically within you wouldn't be out to harm anyone else because it would see yourself as a connected to the greater whole. And then at that same time, you still have your own unique expression of your life experience that would probably still lead you to do things that are soul fulfilling to you. Like you love the sermon and that was your dream. And that is different than someone else's dream was to play tennis, right? Yes. So you could have each individual skill set or or way of playing the game of life, yet if you're not in the ego sense of separation and dominance and scarcity, you could live with everyone and have your own special role in the game. Yes. Well said. 
how do we do that, Rob? (laughs) (laughs) And everybody on your show said, yes, what she said, we're in. I love this conference because this is making me think a lot. Like I haven't actually had this depth of how do we have continuity and individuality, like you're saying. Right, right, right. Well, what you have in the modern world is you have people who were given extraordinary technologies and insights into science into biology, quantum physics, you think about the business world and the unbelievable algorithms driving these massive computers that are helping people in the hedge fund world do things that sort of blow your mind. It's like, think about modern people have these unbelievable technologies at their fingertips and sophistication that can make hospitals, airports, and put 10,000 songs in your pockets. But that doesn't mean that human beings have kept up with the maturity and consciousness to be able to handle these technologies and this incredible modern world that we find ourselves in. And so the real crisis of the modern age is we have this industrialization, we have this knowledge, we have this machines, we have this technology, but human beings haven't at the soul spirit matured, but weren't trained to have the heart and soul to be able to manage, lead, care for people in life-giving sorts of ways. Okay, so masculine, feminine energy over the last 3,000 years, right? So it's been a, a patriarchy predominantly, and there's a lot of indigenous cultures and like the people I've been flowing into in 2017, there's a lot of conversation around the wisdom of the kind of ever-fluxing of, of evolution from the super over-spiritual to the super over-scientific and then the midpoint and the balance of the masculine and feminine energies within our society. So it's been a masculinization and now it's switching. It's 2017. If you look at like the mind calendar people, they're all like, okay, 2012 is when the era ended. 2017, it took five years to kind of like adjust to the new balancing. So now they would say that 2017 is this resurgence and this balancing. It's not going to be a matriarchy. It's not going to be a, it's going to seem like a much more feminine dominated culture, but that's only out of the lack of that energy in society for so long. So it's not going to be actually over feminized. It's just going to seem so contrast. Balance. Yes, the balance. So they talked about when cultures don't value the female or the feminine energy, they don't value the system and the mother of all of this, which is the earth or the, all of the, the holism you're speaking of earlier about the stardust and how this is all just an integrated diorama of stuff that's circulating around and around and around. When we were in the masculine, we were not honoring the feminine, which would include the earth. But now we're shifting out of that. And hopefully that'll be a part of what is to come in consciousness and and what people are hopefully, like you're saying, driven or drawn towards doing. I think that comes from my own experience from, I don't want to hear what your thoughts are, from having resources, having enough resources first to then be able to look out and say what's next. What do you think? Yeah. Generally, the leading edge of culture doesn't come from fears of scarcity and security, but it comes from a vision of generosity and abundance. That's where you have the freedom to cook up the next thing. So yeah, well, I love what you said about the balancing of energies. And I actually think that the current American president is speeding this up because we are seeing out of control, unhealthy masculine energy running roughshod. And it is showing people the desperate need to reclaim the sacred feminine that understands the sustaining, nurturing, caring interdependence of all things. This is actually happening right now as we speak, which I think is just fascinating. It's clearing. It's kind of like an extinction bark if you've ever tried to train a dog. Like once you're trying to train the behavior out of them, they'll bark more than ever before, right before they stop doing it. No way. Yeah, it's extinction barks. It's a term. (laughs) So we're going through some extinction barks. (laughs) You do not stop. That is fantastic. An extinction bark. I love it. So when I tried to train my dog from not barking in his crate, he would bark more than ever right before he would finally stop. So it's like if you're the rat and you're used to getting the food and you're tapping on that little bar, you're going to tap more than ever when you stop getting what you want because you're thinking the more I tap, that's what I normally get that response to. So you're going to do it more than ever before you give up. 
I have always been like, what is the name for this thing? Which it appears as though it's it's loudest and strongest, but it's actually two minutes from being done. What is that called? And now you gave me Extinction Bark. Fantastic. Yeah, there you go. Man, this is why people love your show. Well, <laughs> I love talking to you because we can have this conversation and we can go there. So here's a question. Quantum mechanics and reality. So are you familiar with the zero point field? Um, I've heard this phrase, but tell me more. Okay, so it's kind of the space, if everything, let's say that the nucleus of an atom is the size of a basketball, the electron is 22 miles away. Have you heard the sugar cube image, by the way? No, what's a sugar cube image? Well, apparently it's not that sound and it has a bunch of subtlety, but some people have said that if you took all of the empty space out of all the atoms in the universe, the universe would fit in a sugar cube. I've heard four tablespoons, but I like the sugar cube. It's even smaller. <laughs> oh, that's good. Okay, so go on. So the zero point. The zero point field is the space between the things. And we're not even looking at that. It's like Eckhart Tolle has a really funny joke. Oh, you'll love this. It's a spiritual joke too. So he's talking about the spiritual fish telling all the other fish about water. And so he's teaching them the importance of like the power of water. And all these fish are like, when are we going to see it? Yes. Right? So it's like, that's the, the water is the zero point field here. But it's like, that's like what Jesus, I guess. Yeah. So that's a little bit of, uh, of spiritual joke from Eckhart Tolle. But yeah, so the water, the space between things, that's a zero point field. We're completely ignoring that because we're still stuck in this Newtonian facade of the physical being the only thing that's here. And we're negating the 99.999% of everything that's the space between all of that's here. So they're finding that you can like keep burning off rats' brains or you can keep dissecting human brains in many cases. And it's not 100%. So there'll be examples that contrast this. But in the field, Lynn McTaggart points out that memory doesn't just live in one specific spot. So we tend to think like my memory of my grandma at Christmas lives in my brain. And when I die, that memory goes in the grave with me. But they're actually starting to realize that it may be more accurate to say that the frequency, since everything's waves in quantum level, the frequency of who we are, our neurons are actually tuned to a frequency in the field that is who we are. So do you think, and I know this may be a new term for you, but what I find is that maybe Christianity or other spirituality has been speaking to that frequency being the word soul or something along those lines. What are your thoughts? Was that a question? Because that was awesome. Well, have you heard of that? Or have you ever thought when you were studying quantum mechanics, I thought you might have kind of bumped into this idea that the soul is actually something that does live outside of us. Absolutely. And what's very helpful for me, like we'll talk to somebody about how I can't make that, but I'll be there in spirit. Or on Martin Luther King Day, there is the presence of Martin Luther King. My daughter, at, she's eight at school. They will observe Martin Luther King Day and she will come home telling Martin Luther King stories. So Martin Luther King is with us at some level, even though he's not with us. And so to me, the great insight that has really helped me is to think of my body as something that is happening inside of me. My body is something happening within the larger reality known as me. And for many people, their body is the outward boundary of their essence. And all the questions then are about what is inside of my body. Like, is there a soul? Is there a spirit? But actually, it's much more accurate to think about yourself, your justness, and then your body is something happening within the larger phenomenon we know to be your justness. Can you explain that a little more? Can you keep going? Think about when somebody says, I am sending all of my best love, energy, and intentions your way, otherwise known as prayer. Uh, for many modern people, all of this just sounds just completely nuts. Like, I can't see that. What are you talking about? That's just voodoo, magical, mythical. Or if you think about it in terms of quantum energy, when people say, I could feel your prayers, of course they could. That may be way more real. So what you have is you have these ancient traditions that taught people how to pray, how to meditate, how to send their best intentions to another human being. Then you had this modern era of reductionist materialism, which is like, I can't study it under a microscope, so then it can't be real. But now you have new data going, actually, when people pray for other people, something apparently is going on. And so a lot of these ancient practices aren't crazy. They're real. 
And so when you wish the best for me, no wonder I can feel it. So when you talk about the soul and you talk about frequency, we're way more connected. It also tells me we have way more power to bless each other, to love each other, to propel and energize each other than we probably realize. Do you know there's some science to this that I just watched this last night and it was amazing? So there's a documentary called The Secret of Water. And in it, they talk about this very famous, it's been shared many times, so it's not just there, but Dr. Emoto and his studies of water crystals. Oh, sure, the photographs. Yes, the water crystal. So they can pray over the water. They can bless the water. They can put it into Mozart and these beautiful water crystals will form and they can photograph it. Well, we're made of 70 to 95% water depending on the era of our lives. So literally it would prove that when we bless ourselves or the food, the water itself or any of these things, it's all water. Even most of the planet is made of water. So and it's so crazy. The memory of water, too, is interesting, that the, the water will hold the memory of its experiences. But yeah, what you're saying is actually, if you're willing to make the leap about water being what we're made of, and that we can see the science affecting the crystals of the water on its own, that within us, wouldn't that not also prove true? Right. And that's when you talk about flow and intuition, and I think for many <gasps> of your... Flow! Water! Right. What? Right. And you think about how many of your of those who listen to your show are all of the time your this phenomenon we know to be you, which includes your body, is receiving and picking up truth from your environment. We're sponges. We're soaking up the soul, the frequency, the radar system. We are soaking up all of this truth about the people we're interacting with, about our environment, about ourselves, about our true self, about our future, about our talent, about our energy, about our passions. And yet, for so many modern people, truth got reduced to such a narrow, left-brained, rational filter that so many modern people are dismissing all these other ways that we can come to know things. So I love you talking about the soul and a frequency your true self knows so many things. And yet for so many people, the, what the modern era did was teach them to be suspicious of anything that doesn't fit this incredibly narrow scientific criteria. And in the process, people are in jobs they hate. They're in relationships that aren't going anywhere. They're giving their best energies of the day to things they don't even believe in. And that's why I think you talking about flow and intuition is so incredibly powerful as we're seeing people reclaiming all of these other ways of knowing. Oh my God. Wait, can I, okay. First of all, you like stopped my brain for about five minutes when you made the connection between us being made of water and then flow, because that literally, I don't even know. It just whacked me at a core level, but I can't left brain wise process that right now, but I need to go sit for about five hours and just let that wash over me and wash. Look, I'm saying the word wash and it's water. Oh my God. But okay. So, okay. I need to take a moment right now and calm down. All right. So, wow. Okay. One of the crazy things I wasn't going to go here, especially not with you, but this is honestly on my mind and I'm just going to say it and see what you think. So when you just said that society, right, are you laughing right now? I just laughed. Yeah, I did. I laughed out loud and tried to disguise it because that's just awesome. That is awesome. Okay, so here's what I was going to not share on the show because I was too scared to, but I'm just going to be brave and share it. So right now in the new age community that's out there in the world that's really thinking a lot about consciousness and neurology and quantum mechanics, there are people that are starting to explore psychedelics. And they're not people that are drug users. They're not heroin addicts. They're not going to ruin their lives. They're just exploring these alternate states of consciousness that someone, I saw this TED talk that was banned and it I don't personally think that ayahuasca is like going to save the world like some people do. I think it's a path for people that are choosing it. But 
the point the guy made that I thought was so eye-opening was that he said society values the left brain thinking and so all of the addictive stimulants that stimulate the left side of the brain are legal for the majority. Not all of them. I mean, cocaine might help the left brain, but that's not legal. But there's a lot like caffeine and stuff like that. All are legal, but the right brain stimulants that help us access the right brain being psychedelics are illegal. What are your thoughts on that? I'm not making a drug statement, guys, but it's an interesting thought. Oh, absolutely. And actually, ayahuasca and the growing number of people, this makes perfect sense because of how many people were indoctrinated into a system that only had room for exterior objectives. So material truths that can be proven with testing and repeatability in a lab, that's true Everything else, think about the people you know who are like, I'm just a facts person. I'm just a reasonable, logical thinker. You know what I mean? People even say this with a straight face. I don't fall for all that mythic, superstition, fairy tale stuff, even though they can recite for you all of season three of Game of Thrones. You know what I mean? And yet I spend my free time listening to magical, mythical tales because they are deep in my bones. So this system, this Google Facebook world of algorithms, it cuts so many people off from the depth of experience because it framed knowledge in the human experience in these incredibly narrow categories and anything else is crazy. The word miracle for lots of people is crazy talk. And yet for thousands of years, it was assumed that maturity, that like wise, mature people had room for all sorts of wonder and mystery of the universe. Like you can see Burning Man, Ayahuasca, you can see all of these children of the modern age desperate to break free from this matrix. And the power of some of these experiences is it shows them there are depths and realms that the ancients were very conversant in that the modern world actually cut itself off from. And in the process, lost something of what it means to be human. And so people are trying to reclaim that. Now, if you like look at Ram Dass and some of those who in the 60s started with LSD, what's interesting is they talk about the goal, the goal for you and I, the goal for your listeners is to become the kind of person. Because the problem is the difference between stages and states. You can have a drug trip. You can have a temporary state of oneness or transcendence. But then the the trip wears off and you have to go back to real life. So the idea behind spiritual practice is you build up the habits, disciplines, rituals, rites. It's like you build up the muscles to where you can be in that state without needing any artificial stimulant. You're filled with wonder and awareness and awe and connection in every moment of every day. Come on. Yeah. Well, you know what's interesting there is it's almost like thinking about caffeine, right? Some people love caffeine and they're addicted to it. And others say, you know, the idea is to be in a state where you're energized without it. But that doesn't mean it sometimes that caffeine is not a useful tool when it's not relied upon for your entire life. And I do think psychedelics, honestly, I've recently tried two of them for very specific consciousness enhancing God connection. You know, it's not to see funny colors like by any means, but I can tell you some of the experiences, especially on one of them, I could not, I have meditated for years and I would never have understood how to be in my heart like that. Now that I've had it, I can go now and tap into that, but I don't know how long it would have taken me. Probably my own like 20 more years of meditation. I don't think I need to rely on it, but I'm glad I've tapped into that. So I know what that feeling is and a visceral level I never experienced before. It opened you up. Yeah. And actually, if this fish, this water that we're all fish in, it makes sense to me. It's killing the soul of so many people. It would make sense to me. Even think about all of, it's not just triathlons now. It's like, crawl on your stomach through mud for 20 miles. You know what I mean? Think about all the ways that people are desperately trying to climb out of this machine and open up. Whether it's going around the world like you, this Western American 
21st century capitalist just make it bigger, cheaper, faster, and if you're Amazon and can deliver it within an hour, that's even better, is this thing is like a suicide machine and it's killing people. And it doesn't surprise me at all that people are looking for all of these different ways to be liberated from this thing because it's very oppressive, even as it claims all of its good. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, there's a funny thing that's totally tangential. It's one of my questions I wanted to share with you, which ties perfectly to what we're sharing. There are no tangents. There's no tangents in this conversation, just for the record. No, it's just flowing. Okay, so my friend Jeremiah, I met him in Ubud, Bali. He's from Wisconsin, and he's a Christian, and he told his dad one day, you know, and he's sitting there in Ubud, which is a very progressive, leading-edge type of consciousness type of community. He said, you know, Jesus was a hippie dad. And it's so funny because his dad's very conservative and traditionalist in an American sense. But he's sitting there saying, you know, Jesus is probably an Ubud Bali if you were to like translate what he was doing back then. So I was curious on your thoughts about the new age stuff like hands-on healing, shared consciousness, energy vibration, mindfulness and meditation, all these crazy things that people are doing in some cases. I'm not saying crazy. I, I love them. I've just experienced them for the month in Bali. But what do you think? Like, do you think Jesus is really one of these new ages if he was to be here today? <laughs> well, that's a great question. First off, Jesus was executed as an enemy of the state. So picture orange jumpsuit Guantanamo Bay. That's probably the best way to think about how Jesus was killed. And he was killed because he confronted an economic, military, religious complex that kept all of the wealth in the hands of a few people while the masses were starving. So he confronted an entrenched political system, and generally entrenched political systems that are oppressive have to kill resistors, or they'll foment movements which will lead to uprising. So yes, healing, yes, meditation, yes, oneness, yes, inclusion and solidarity, but also dangerous political, social, economic implications. Do you know what I mean? He is saying this system that puts all the wealth in the hands of a powerful few and system is corrupt and oppressive and it needs to come down so that the people can have basic needs met. And the system in the first century couldn't do that. They could not handle this resistance. So he's executed as enemy of the state. So at some level, yes, Jesus was hey, peace and love, and let's all get along, and nonviolence was the center of his movement. So at that level, yes, but it's not all just, hey, man, let's just hang out. It's also courageous, defiant, subversive solidarity with the poor and oppressed. Or even, if you think about the Gospel of Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke mentions that there were a group of women who were traveling with Jesus, paying his bills. How great is that? So, Jesus has a group of revolutionary women who paid his bills. But then if you read the Gospel of Luke, you realize, wait, women didn't really have rights. Yet in the Jesus movement, women were leaders and actually were like the economic underpinnings of the whole thing. Then you realize, oh, lepers were outcasts in the first century, but Jesus includes them. The Jesus story is about radical inclusion of anybody who's been marginalized or pushed to edges, which makes the story to me more than ever. Okay, so here's my question then. If you had to put him in the current economic climate, what would you think he'd be doing? He wouldn't be an Uba doing hands-on healing then. Well, you would probably find him taking any aspect of any movement that restored human dignity and liberated people from oppression he would be an integrated movement that took the best of everything and left its unhealth behind. You know what I mean? And left its unhealth behind. I love that. He'd be the best of the Republicans and he'd leave the rest behind. He'd be the best of the Democrats and leave the rest behind. You know what I mean? It would be so integrated that it would be true, another level of truth that nobody could claim but everybody could participate in. Yeah. What's the opposite of post-truth? Like <laughs> higher truth? <laughs> it's an, a more expanded, I would say integrated. Integrated truth. The ego loves labels and categories. The ego loves to cling to I'm this, you're that. So actually progressives need there to be fundamentalists because that gives the progressive their identity. 
They can say, I'm a progressive over and against that guy who's way behind. You are. You're here. You're breathing. Enjoy it. Grace. You're loved exactly as you are. You're already at the party. All your striving, improving, accumulating, and accomplishing, you are desperately working to achieve that which you've had the whole time. That's grace. I think he, he starts there. Oh my God. Well, this is crazy because I asked my intuition before this for the first time ever what I should ask you, which I've never done for a guest before. And it told me to ask you about dignity, which I feel like is the greatest handover ever. So from what you just said, do you have any thoughts on dignity that you could riff on? Because that's for some reason what my intuition told me to ask you about. Yeah. One of the dominant questions about what it means to be human is, are we bad or are we good? And lots of damage has been done in, for people in regards to spirituality, religion, but actually all across the map by telling people how horrible they are. But the first word about any of us is dignity, is honor. In the ancient Hebrew creation poem, all human beings reflect the image of the divine. They talk about the divine spark. There's this prayer in the Psalms, we've been crowned with glory and honor. So the ancients began, their starting point was the dignity and honor and the sacred holy nature of being a human being. And especially for your listeners, maybe who've been through divorce, abuse, failure, been fired, are struggling with depression, like all of the ways that life beats us up. What can happen is that part of you that you live from, soul, spirit, center, can get beaten down. And then that voice, that dialogue, that tape machine starts playing in your head that you're unworthy. No one will ever love you again. You've messed this up and you're going to mess up the next opportunity. Your joy and your future are found in grounding yourself in the first word about you, which is you're here. You've been given this extraordinary gift of life. You belong. You are loved. There's a dignity and an honor. There's a sacred, holy dimension to life that nothing can touch. I love that. And if it goes back to the zero point field, really, if you think about it, and the energy of that frequency that is a part of the whole thing. It's just a computer game. It's just pixels. I think of Adams now as like pixels on the screen of a computer. I'm like, this is all just a pixel. And the thing that's animating us is that frequency. And that's the divine spark is the fact that that frequency is strummed, you know, that it's plucked. Yes. And when you were talking about thoughts and consciousness and the idea of a thought having matter, when you then you listen to those stories and you repeat those mantras and your thoughts begin with the sacred holy gift that life is, um, this shapes you. It, it forms you. You begin to act differently in the world. You begin to have more gratitude. When you do go through pain and suffering, you're less likely to completely lose the plot because you remember, oh, I've been through this before and I survived. And I'll probably learn all sorts of things in this. So you become more open, more flexible, limber. A friend of mine is a physical therapist, and he said that he was working in India. And he said, in India, the most flexible person is the oldest person in the village. That the older you get, the more limber you get. Is that fantastic? That the idea is that over the years, all the bumps and bruises and hits that you take, instead of making you more bitter... They make you better. Instead of closing you down, they open you up. This is the invitation that we all have. Instead of making you more brittle, they make you more mellow, like fluid, <laughs> flowing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The mellow can be a little bit like not in the game, but it's not bitter. It's humbled and grateful. I was thinking brittle. I was thinking about the physical analogy. So like brittle versus fluid or something like that. Yes, limber. I like limber. I love that. Okay, so this is amazing, and I could talk to you forever. Hopefully, you'll come on again, but what internal doubts or resistance are you currently going through? Oh, interesting. My work is making things, so uh, tours and books and podcasts and films, Like, and I have the next thing I'm going to make, but 
the making of it and the releasing of it will not look like anything I've done. And I haven't seen anybody do it like I'm going to do it. So right now, my my thoughts and meditations about this project, which I feel like is the most significant thing I've done in 25 years, is trust your intuition. I know conventional wisdom would say do it this way, but you have this vision to do it a different way. Uh, and there are economic dimensions and there are whatever dimensions to it. Do it how you know to do it. And forget everything anybody might tell you about that's not the way you should do it. That's not conventional. You know what I mean? Just listen to how you know to do it. Um, that's a very real thing that will take place over the next year where all the doubts of like, no, that could fail. That could, oh my word, if there's possibility that we could fail, now we're on to something. <laughs> if it could all go down in flames and you could lose a ton of money, awesome. That means we're actually taking the kind of risks that we set out to take. Can you talk about what it is or no? Oh, actually, part of it, is it has to be released. Like talking about it ruins it. Does that make sense? People will just have to experience it. And that's actually one of the things is the hype. Guess what's coming, everybody? This thing can't have any of that. It just has to be experienced. How's that for vague? When I first started touring clubs, I remember people were like, wait, you're a pastor in a church. You're going to like go through Ticketmaster and do like one man shows in clubs? Yeah. Um, and then we made, for a while, I made these short films. People were like, you can't say anything significant in a 10 minute film. I was like, no, I think it can be done. So at every stage of the things I've made, there's somebody going, that's a bad idea. No one's going to want that. That's not going to work. And then I just made it anyway, because it was the thing that was in me. And if I didn't make it, I would spontaneously combust. And then it all turns out fine. So that's where we are again at the same place. And it always humbles me and takes me back to this is why we do this. I love that. So what would you tell someone just starting out on the journey? Take good care of yourself. That you are a gift to all of us. But in order to be the good gift that you are to all of us, whatever your contribution is, you have to be able to receive that comes your way. So stress, burned out, working 80 hours a week, never taking vacation, none of that actually makes the world a better place. That your greatest gift is your tank is full, your heart is overflowing. And for many people, Western capitalist, Calvinist guilt, if they actually take care of themselves, they use words like lazy. They use like, I was just spoiling myself. No, you were just taking good care of yourself, especially if you work with people, especially if you have a gift that you give people that costs something. We need you to first love yourself so that you can love your neighbor. And I, I can't even tell you how many people in business, law, education, arts come and want to talk. And they're basically like, I'm thinking of giving up. I'm so tired. I'm so burned out. And I'll just start asking them really basic questions. Um, what day of the week is your cell phone turned off? What day of the week do you not answer email? When are you not on call from work? And every time a person is talking about despair and wanting to give up, whenever we start talking about their rhythms of life, always the person reveals that they don't have any. They just pretty much go all the time. And uh, so that to me is the first that you have to start there with a rhythm of life where you play, where you rest, where you're not working, you're just being. You have to start there. Oh, that's so beautiful. Rob, thank you so much for jamming with me. I feel like it really was a jam. <laughs> it wasn't an interview. It was a conversation. It lived up to your hopes. I think so. You blew my mind. I still have to go think for five minutes or five hours about flow and water and how we're made of it. And it's all in us. Like, I've got to go rest now after this. <laughs> oh, good. Great. That was fun.
And there you have it. Thank you so much for listening. And Rob, thank you so much for coming on the show. If you want to send Rob a message, you can do so over on Instagram or Twitter at RealRobBell. And hopefully we'll see Rob back on the show again in the future. It was a blast to be able to have this conversation. And I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And of course, if you know anyone that loves these kind of wacky out there crazy ideas, but is not familiar with the show, please send this episode over to them. I hope they love it as much as you may have enjoyed it. For show notes for today's episode, head over to jesslively.com slash Rob Bell. And now for where I'm headed to next, I'm staying here in London. As I mentioned, there is a training coming up at the end of June that I am here for and just enjoying my stay in Chelsea in the meantime, going to my favorite coffee shops and locations and seeing friends that I made last summer while I was here. Until next week, may something wonderful happen to you today.